Trigger warning. Please note, this episode contains themes and depictions of human trafficking that may be disturbing to listeners. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know needs help, resources are available in the show notes. Cyber specialist Money let out a deep breath. He was bracing himself for what he knew he was going to see. This was the worst part of his job in the counter-child sexual exploitation center. He felt someone move behind him. It was Inspector Salim. They had just come back from their raid where they had successfully nabbed two cyber criminals, Raju and Giri. Money's gaze fell on a large whiteboard in the conference room of the district police chief's office. Operation P-Hunt 20.1 was written in big, bold letters. 120 devices have been seized across Kerala so far, said Money grimly. He flexed his fingers and turned on his laptop. He looked at the screen, shocked. Salim looked over his shoulder and he couldn't believe his eyes either. Regardless of how long he'd been working on this case, Salim was unprepared for the reality of actually seeing the gruesome child sexual abuse material. The sickening feeling in his stomach made his whole body uneasy. He was paralyzed with shock, disgust and agony. The sudden vibration of the phone in his pocket broke him out of his shock stupor. Salim remembered that he was carrying Raju and Giri's mobiles. Apart from arresting them, Salim had also been instructed to seize their electronic devices. He took out Raju's phone. A new notification. Mani unlocked the phone. There was a new message in a chat group. It was a video. In it was a naked young girl. She was crying continuously pausing only to sniffle. A string of lewd replies followed. Mani shut the phone and said, 25 people in this group. By the time all the raids are over, we'll have a lot more names, leads and information, I'm sure. Next was Giri's laptop. Mani typed away furiously on the keyboard. The look on his face grew darker as the minutes flew by. What's the problem? Asked Salim. This guy is very tech-savvy. The encryption he's created is quite strong, replied Money. Not one to give up, Money set about the task with grim determination. And it paid off. He was able to unlock the laptop. What he discovered was not unexpected, but still no less jarring. Photographs and videos of young naked children forced to do horrible things. Folders and folders of them. Salim took a deep breath to calm himself down. He knew that the COVID lockdown had drastically increased the circulation of such child sexual abuse materials. It is why Operation P-Hunt 20.1 had to be put into action. When he looked at Salim's face and understood what he was feeling. He had felt it many times before. He said it out loud to try and reassure the officer. 
the Kerala police, its digital wing Cyberdome and the CCSE centre should be able to nab the involved parties. Operation P-Hunt 20.1 was carried out in 117 locations across Kerala. Web searches, social media, chat rooms and malware that activated webcams at home, all these were channels to access and store child sexual abuse material. At the end of the raids, 200 people had been identified and 143 devices had been seized. Hi, I'm Abish Matthew. Welcome to Missing, a podcast that explores the stories of child trafficking and sexual exploitation that highlight the innocence, the deception, and what happens behind closed doors. To help us understand the issues in more depth, our host Lena Kejriwal, founder of Missing Link Trust, will talk to psychologists, lawyers, activists, and other experts for their insight on child protection, sexual abuse, cyber safety, and more. Today, we're exploring the subject of child sexual abuse material, or CSAM. Here's your host, Lena Kejriwal. They say the online world can bring out the best in us, but also the worst. And when it comes to one of the most horrific kinds of crime, the sexual abuse of children, the dark depths of the internet only get murkier. It's a black hole of child sexual offenders, pedophiles and child rapists who commit these crimes behind the anonymity of a screen. And this issue only becomes worse when moved from the online to offline child sexual abuse. What makes matters even more worrying is that the pandemic-induced move to online education has led to a sharp rise in the digital accessibility of children and teenagers. In fact, the lockdown has seen a shocking 95% spike in the consumption of child sexual abuse material, or CSAM, in India. In this episode, we are going to dive into the horrific world of child sexual abuse material to try and find out how sexual predators and traffickers are largely moving online, who they really are, the appalling nature of their crimes, and the role of parents in safeguarding vulnerable children on the internet. Sebastian Edissary is the Director and Chief Security Officer at Deloitte South Asia, who is also associated with organizations like Interpol, the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, ICMEC, and the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, UNODC. He trains law enforcement on how to investigate computer-facilitated crimes. In 2007, he developed an internet safety awareness program titled Protecting Children on the Net which was conducted in over 1,000 schools across India. Let's find out how safe the internet is for children. The internet has never been safe for kids. And one of the reasons why it is unsafe is the very basic design of the internet. And kids being kids, they are naturally not very safe on the net. And some of the latest studies and research indicate that about uh, two-thirds of our children are using technology tools on the net. They are exposed to different types of uh, risks. 
and criminals know what to make use of and how to make these children more vulnerable or accessible to them and naturally there's a complete anonymity what's more worrying is that these perpetrators aren't always anonymous strangers behind screens far far away a lot of the time they prey on children from their own circle of family and friends A 2007 government study reported that the majority of child sexual abusers were people known to the children and in a position of trust a position they took advantage of To tell us more about how the internet is becoming increasingly unsafe for children here is advocate legal scholar and cyber victim counselor Dr Deborathi Haldar whose research looks at online victimization of women and children this is completely my personal opinion this data or the information that i'm going to reveal this is from my own experience as a researcher and also as a cyber crime victim counselor i would say that since more than 10 years now we are getting to see that lots of children and their parents i mean children in the sense that uh, right from the twine age group to the teenage age group also we are getting to see that the parents are having their own online life their own online network and uh, obviously children do follow the parents in every sense any adult who are staying with the children so they would obviously go ahead for logging into the virtual space and uh, they would be sharing their own informations they would like to share their photographs etc with their own profiles or with some other profile names and obviously the concept of you know immaturity in the children that also plays a very significant role here now if you ask me that for past like you know over a decade has this thing changed that why the predators are finding it very easy to like you know go for searching their so called preys the thing is that we are often forgetting that even if the children are becoming aware about how to protect their privacy on the cyberspace how to lock their profiles etc they basically are not willing to accept that there may be some persons in their own friend circle or in their own so called virtual family circle who might be exposing them to the predators say for example today's news basically says that uh, there was uh, one father this is a case from 2016-17 and the information that i do get it does not reveal that whether the daughter was a major or a minor during the entire incident but a father is denied bail he is accused of raping his own daughter not only that he had taken nude pictures of the daughter and he probably shared it on the cyberspace now consider this thing that since their childhood i'm talking about today's children they are told that make your parents your friends on the cyberspace now we can become their friends and we have got friends who are also adults we don't know whose profile is getting hacked whose profile is being used by others so in a way i can say that there is always a gateway open you know for many predators to actually come into the profiles of many other adults and then search for the profiles which will be catering to the needs of these kinds of predators and thereby they can basically go ahead for searching selecting and as you have correctly used the term data mining for these children and to like you know use them for their own sadistic pleasure so in conclusion it can be that it is the availability of the online platforms both for the children as well as for the predators and the lack of security 
that basically encourages the predators to search for their prey and committing these kinds of offenses let's now dive into exactly what the offense is previously labeled as child pornography the us based national center for missing and exploited children or necmec chooses to refer to these images as child sexual abuse material or csam this is to most accurately reflect what is depicted which is in their words the sexual abuse and exploitation of children they also explain that not only do these images and videos document victims exploitation and abuse but when these files are shared across the internet child victims suffer revictimization each time the image of the sexual abuse is viewed sebastian further defines it and tells us what has caused the increase of such cases csam or child sexual abuse material is an image or video in which a child is engaged in sexual activity so depending upon the geography or jurisdiction of the activity the term child has a different legal connotation in terms of age that's the only difference in india the definition of the child goes by any human being male or female below the age of 18 and uh, important point to be noted about csam in india is that very possession itself is punishable forget transmission or production even very possession itself is punishable with the spread of technology tools you can say from especially in india 2g to 4g and 5g that is the first thing because now the access speed is very high number 2 a lot of children are now available on the net mainly for online classes online tuitions so in the last 2 years or i, I would say precisely the during the pandemic period the number of children available on the net have considerably increased now the hit percentage for the predators and criminals so like earlier they send out a message or a particular technique the number of children whom they could trap was limited to a minimal one now it is much higher so are their activity more or are they moving largely online i'll say yes to get a better understanding of the crime and why it occurs it's most important to know who is being preyed on and by whom Our two speakers built a profile of the typical victim of CSAM offenses and the ways they are victimized. It is more girls or females than boys and more fair-skinned or white-colored than non-whites or uh, maybe black-skinned or colored-skinned. And generally the age profile of the victims are mostly ranging from about 9 to 15 years. maybe pre pubescent than pubescent i could see something like whatever from my investigation support more almost maybe a 60 to 70% is coming at that age of 9 to 15 and less than 8 or less is maybe about much lesser percentage and i have seen only two videos or two images of the one which is maybe children under 1 year of age and what i think is luring these victims to the attacker is the lure of affection care and maybe some sort of reckoning yes 
most of the time they actually fall like you know victims of grooming because they start trusting people and like you know it's not only grooming but also the data exposure by them so even if they try to control their data even if they try to like you know put a lock or whatever you say as i stated that you know there are people from amongst their friend circle etc who are you know accessing these children from different sources and thereby they become victimized now that we understand who the victims are let's understand the typical profile of a perpetrator Sebastian takes us through the kind of people that carry out crimes of Sizan including their most common traits. Typical profile of the offender if you see it's a more of males I'll say almost 90% and at least from the investigations etc that I was working with and supporting law enforcement etc almost 90% males maybe about 5 to 6% females and in about 2 to 3% categories the sex could not be determined because of the type of uh, methods they used to hide themselves or identify themselves etc and age is any when there were teens involved but then mostly of any age up to even 70 75 also we have seen them they are very good with technology tools very good with analytical skills and they can surf through the net and collect maybe something like a, a group of more than 100 to 200 potential victims in a matter of some hours and they can establish relationship with kids very quickly they are very eager to help and very good in grooming and maintaining the relationship i think that summarizes the typical profile of a offender and these offenders can be found globally Since 2006, 150 countries have refined or implemented new anti-CISAM legislations. So where does India fall on the CISAM map? Are we one among many or are we the biggest perpetrators? We just might be, according to a 2019 report by the National Center for the Missing and Exploited Children. They run a cyber tip line that legally requires social media and tech companies to report instances of CISAM on their platforms with geotags. Over 1400 companies have registered with the cyber tip line and in 2019 the center got 16.9 million suspected CISAM reports. Out of these nearly 1.98 million were from India. the highest among 241 countries pakistan came second with 1.15 million reports and bangladesh generated more than half a million reports sebastian tells us more i think india may be considered as the capital at least according to the information available to me mainly because maybe the reason is that nearly 20% of the child population of the world lives in india sexual exploitation is very rampant reporting is very low even conviction is less than 3% and maybe till the legislation of pokso hardly this was an issue at all and there was no seriousness in the criminal justice system till the pokso was introduced and lot of push started coming from the government etc what i want common people to know is that the pokso is extremely favorable legislation for child victim while i do not have exact figures as per a news article 
that is uh, recently i saw the online searches for child sexual abuse material have almost doubled during this pandemic and even one of the thing that i have seen is that the self generated sexual material by one child or the other in india it also has increased by almost 75% in the last one year on the other hand debruti points out that there is a real shortage of data when it comes to truly understanding which countries are worse affected by cesam For instance, if you take the advancement of technology into consideration, the use of proxies and anonymizers can misrepresent and undercount the numbers in many countries. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children notes that 1.6 million reports don't mention the country for reasons such as no IP address or proxy IPs. To further justify Debrati's reservations, it should be noted that reports by companies also depend on the kind of infrastructure they employ for detecting CSAM. For instance, Facebook has generously invested in CSAM detection. So naturally, it accounts for more than 90% of the CSAM reports. In contrast, websites such as 4chan and 8chan have reported very few cases despite having a long history of easy availability of CSAM. Debruti elaborates. I strongly disagree that India is a CISAM capital because let me tell you that uh, there has not been much studies about this kind of like you know CISAM happening in other continents. We have not seen what's happening in African continent. We have not seen what's happening in certain Eastern European and also certain Western European countries, and that is the reason. Very unfortunately, India has got this like bad reputation that it is a CISAM capital. My present study, it's basically going to reveal that India is not the only country which can have the tag that you know we are the CISAM capital. So what does happen when perpetrators of CISAM related crimes are caught by the authorities? Debruti helps us understand the legal provisions in India that play a big role in the prosecution of such offenders. The first and foremost that we do get to see is that is POCSO Act Protection of Children from Sexual Offences Act. We also have Information Technology Act that is section 67B. which is a very very broad like you know law and at the same time very strict law whereby you do get to see that if anybody and actually it starts with both information technology act section 67b and poxo act which starts with if anybody does anything anybody if you explain it which means that even a child when he or she is sexually exploiting others or you know when he or she is also doing some kinds of activities then he or she can also be booked under this act so this is one thing and both poxo and information technology act they are gender neutral the punishment definitely varies like how far the child or anybody if it is under poxo act what exactly has been done because if you see poxo act it actually clubs up with the physical like exploitation and online exposure of that physical exploitation at the same time if it is online sexual exploitation not only doing that online sexual exploitation but also exposing that particular online sexual exploitation so it varies so the highest can definitely be to the maximum it can be life imprisonment also for example we did get to see there are lots of cases where a child has been raped you know and the child has been sent to a vegetative condition and the photograph or the images or the audio visual contents of that rape scene 
or even for example only the still photographs of the body of the child etc that have been shared so in such cases you should not think that it is only what we are getting to see on the online platform on the basis of that action will be taken because the action will be taken as per the physical abuse also so in that case definitely we have to see that you know there are very strict punishments also so along with that here comes again the question back pokso act especially made it very very specific if you and me we are not related to the child we are not related to the perpetrator if we come to see that means any individual come to see that any sexual abuse is happening with the child whether it is online or offline and we keep quiet and we go but there is some kind of footprint that i had been in that space and i witnessed it even if it is uh, like in you know, a cyber space or the physical space i would be having the penal liability so in such cases you have to see that whether it is a father whether it is a mother whether it is anybody else in the family or anyone who has come to know that yes there had been a child sexual abuse he or she must report which means that everyone of us has got the responsibility to make a complaint if the child does not know how to make a complaint the national center for missing and exploited children urges people to report cesam found online across the world on their online platform cyber tipline but apart from reporting these crimes and enabling their children to do so parents play an important role in fostering safe online experiences for their children sebastian and devarati offer the suggestions as to what parents can do i think the first thing that parents should start working on is define personal standards of privacy for the kids it is never too early to make them understand that there are uh, strangers who can harm the kids online and even offline also and make them aware of potential dangers on the net discuss some of the modus operandi and case studies of crimes against children that has been happening so that children are aware how some criminals can approach them regarding use of internet at home etc agree on a schedule for the internet so that within that time only and maybe under the supervision of parents they look at the internet and children can help if there are some issues keep an open door policy and make it very comfortable for the kids to approach parents in case of any perceived troubles and talk not to strangers is probably one of the most important thing when they add friends onto the network social networking lists etc because you cannot believe strangers and strangers can cause harm and do not blame it on the internet it's a great tool but abusers have mastered it and know how to make use of it to their advantage and maybe arm the children with associated strategies to deal with challenges they probably will all come across on the internet i think that will make a child aware of what are some of the potential danger what are the strategies for protection and how they should seek support and guidance from maybe parents and elders in case they come across certain issues most of the time what actually happening is that the children are abused and uh, then they are blackmailed so that they don't tell it to anyone else children are afraid of reporting so if they come over that particular challenge maybe in a matter of one or two days or maybe immediately after an issue they would report the matter to parents or maybe some of their elders etc and seek their guidance so that issue can be resolved there itself otherwise they will become tools in the hands of all these abuses and uh, the abuse can happen or continue to happen for quite long time i would rather suggest for the parents and also the caregivers 
that let children explore internet because you know we cannot hold back today's children from not seeing certain contents but what we need to see is that to have you know a confidence or grow that confidence in your child whereby the child will not be hesitating to tell the parent that i have got to see these things or you know i did get to see these kinds of messages or my account has been hacked or somebody has taken you know some photographs of mine etc that kind of confidence should be there in the minds of the child plus this is something which is very very important for all of us we cannot now tell the children that you know do not use your mobile phone while you are sleeping or do not use your mobile phone while you are in an awkward position or especially when you are in the washroom etc because we ourselves are doing it so in all such cases we do have to tell them that use it but the way is that you have to use it in a fashion that it does not violate your privacy the next biggest stakeholders in children's lives are their schools in which they spend large parts of the day with teachers and their peers So what role do schools play in the battle against CSAM? Here's what Debrati and Sebastian recommend. What I have seen that several schools especially they are also holding several like you know sessions they are inviting experts etc and this is something which is physical or this is something which is online like what we get to see that you know making the children to sit and listen to what is going to happen how you are going to protect itself protect yourself etc. not only that they are also making the content ready for the online platforms so what happens here say for example if my session is only for children from the age group or from the standards for example 8 to 12 standard that particular recording that particular audio visual recording etc is being shared you know on the platforms and that can be accessed by even younger children also so in such cases what happens is that it is basically made open for everyone and most importantly such kinds of contents etc are also being accessed by parents what i am seeing is that during this pandemic one of the schools which i came across for conducting my program protecting children on the net i realized that some of the schools are advising kids to create a social networking account and when some of the kids said this question like i am not at 13 how can i make an account over there it was told that some school advised the kids to say that you are uh, born one or two years earlier so that your current age is taken as 13 so awareness among teachers is one of the great things that uh, maybe can help in reducing the child sexual abuse online and also awareness to kids awareness to parents all these can help in containing the this particular challenge According to Debrati, spreading awareness amongst children and families to make a complaint is only the first step. However, that may not be enough if the judiciary and law enforcement don't have the required resources, infrastructure, appropriate sensitivity training, or the necessary experiences to take on such cases. She explains the various challenges that might come in the way of these crimes being reported and suitably prosecuted. the first and foremost is that the training of the police officers what happens is that when such kinds of offenses are happening in the metro cities the child may have or the parents of the child may have the access to the police stations which are like technologically advanced police officers and the police officer also knows about this what happens when the child actually comes from or the victim comes from rural place or for example socio economically backward like in you know, regions 
So in such cases, even if you go to the police officers, even if you go for the police talkie also, stating that this has happened with me or the small thana also, the officer might not be able to understand what's actually happening. So definitely the first and foremost challenge is that training to the grassroots level government officers. We should not forget one thing that it is not only the police who can take the complaints, CWC can also take the complaints, even the Gram Panchayat, they can also take the complaint and because it is a child sexual abuse matter, so they can definitely contact the police officers. Unfortunately, such kinds of stakeholders or authorities, they are not basically trained in a proper fashion whereby they may be able to understand the nature of the crime and they may neither be able to help the victims to go ahead directly for reporting the matter. Second, definitely, because the victims are not empowered, like, you know, much aware, they themselves may destroy the evidences. So they might, you know, delete the conversation. They might block the persons without saving the evidences, etc. So when they come to the police, they might not have anything to show to the police officer. The third, obviously, very significant is that it is a question of jurisdiction that uh, if you know, the perpetrator is sitting in another jurisdiction. So it becomes very, very difficult to take a letter of rogatory, go ahead for further investigation, etc. These things are definitely very, very tricky things. And if you ask for the prosecution, etc., tell me that how many cases you have seen that it has gone to the prosecution level. When it goes for the prosecution level also here, I need to say as teacher of law here, and not only as a lawyer or a cybercrime victim counsellor, how many of us, basically, especially for the lawyers, they know very clearly what exactly can be the prosecutional or the procedural aspects of cyber law. Most of us, unfortunately, not many lawyers basically know it. So these are like, you know, again, the training, proper training and legal education that the lawyers need to receive. And the last is that it is the judicial discretion. The judges also must be trained and judges also must understand what's exactly happening so that they can also take care of the victims. The availability of child sexual abuse material online is a disastrous plague. The solutions and advice Sebastian and Deborati gave can be implemented on a micro and a macro level. However, till we really truly understand the problem, the battle rages on. The child sexual abuse material online is truly horrific. This is Sebastian narrating an incident that will haunt him for the rest of his life. I support the law enforcement for different activities related to it in terms of identifying the location or identifying the material, etc. So some of the most horrific videos that I have seen is that of something like a three to four months old child who is being abused by someone like the age of nothing less than maybe 35, 40 years old. But it was looking like the child is crying, that guy is pinching or maybe biting that such a small child and some of the thing that hurt me was the moment he stops biting the child smiles at this person attacker i could not even think of taking food for one or two days after seeing such things the age of the child not more than three to four months maybe it is just about to smile that's the age by spreading awareness through this podcast we hope to see a world where cases like the one Sebastian just narrated never take place ever again. It's going to take the combined effort of the children themselves, their parents, 
families, schools and the legal and civic systems of the countries they live in to stop Sizam. Thank you to Sebastian Edisary and Dr. Deborathi Haldar for sharing their knowledge and experience on this topic. I've been your host, Leena Keshriwal. Do check out our work at savemissinggirls.com. We have more information and resources there. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at missinggirlswithwanji. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email to reachus at savemissinggirls.com.